Anybody have a question? Anybody have a question you'd like to ask this morning? I think we've pretty much finished up what we were talking about last week. Um, we were looking at kind of that issue with transgression, um, iniquity, uh, sin there in Psalms 51 and Exodus, the different, the three, three words that he mentions there. So we kind of finished that up. Anybody have a question you want to ask this morning? Anybody have a question? No questions? So Steve? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's absolutely true, and, and that's why um, if you go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, um, look in verse number 6. He says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth, right? So, I mean, God, God is going to deal with every, every child of God because uh, obviously we don't live perfect, sinless lives. And uh, God has given us the examples that we need to follow in his word. Um, but when we don't, then obviously uh, there is, there's chastening, there's discipline that God brings and... Uh, and again, that's, that's every, everyone. That's why he says in verse number 7, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Right? Um, every child of God, every child of God has, has uh, received chastening because we're all stubborn. Right? We're all stubborn. We're all thick-headed. Uh, we all think we know better than God knows. And, uh, and so we, we do things our own way. And so... Um, uh, we all endure that, and so, but I'm very thankful that we have a gracious and merciful God that when we go to him and ask forgiveness and mercy that he's willing to grant us that, and uh, so praise the Lord for that. Amen. All right. Anybody else have a question? Yes. So in Romans chapter 1, it says in verse 10, making request, if by any means that now I, at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So you're asking about verse number 11 where he says that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, 
And so if God is the one that gives spiritual gifts, then what is he referring to here? Okay. Um, all right. So Paul is he's writing to the church of Rome, right? And his desire is, as he says here, he wants to come the church of Rome, and he says that I may be able to impart unto you some spiritual gift, okay? Um, but yet, as Ms. Naomi was saying, we know that the Bible tells us that um, the Holy Spirit is the one that gives spiritual gifts, right? Those are, those are imparted by the Holy Spirit. You can go back to, um, you can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter, let's see, uh, 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says in verse number 4, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administration, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given the Spirit of the word of wisdom, to another spirit of the word of knowledge, by the same spirit, to another faith, right? So he talks about these gifts, but it shows us that these gifts are given by, by the Spirit of God. So why then would Paul say that he wants to impart some spiritual gift if it is the Spirit that is to give the gifts? Anybody? Why would Paul say, I want to come so that I can impart unto you, um, as he says here in verse number, uh, verse number 11, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift? Okay, so maybe, uh, maybe what he's referring to then is that because we all have spiritual gifts, then what he's saying is to be able to come, to be able to use the spiritual gifts. Using your spiritual gift. Okay, all right. So maybe Paul's referring to more like using the spiritual gifts that he has, right? Um, giving the gifts that he has, using them to, to uplift and encourage the, the body there. Somebody else, what do you think? Is it the idea of, of ministering, you know, using the spiritual gifts that we have to minister to somebody else? As Paul's saying, I want to come to Rome and I want to use my spiritual gift to help you. Anybody else? What do you think? Okay. 
So when we think of spiritual gifts, right, when we think of spiritual gift, um, what is kind of the first thing we think of then? When we think about spiritual gifts, what is the first thing we think of? Well, we wouldn't think of necessarily salvation being a spiritual gift, although it is, but when we think of spiritual gifts, like what we're talking about here, what would be the spiritual gifts? Well, again, that is a, that is a spiritual gift, but when, we, when we're talking in the church, we're talking about spiritual gifts, what, what, are we, what, is the kind of, what is the topic here? What is the idea? Really, Ken? Right, when you go back, I mean, you look at the, the spiritual gifts that he's talking about here, there is, there's administration, there's there's the gift of mercy. There's, there's all these gifts that he talks about, right? Um, you know, and, and he talks both here in Romans, a little bit later on. He talks in Corinthians. He talks about these, these gifts, right? Now, the one thing we have to understand is there's also what we would say these spiritual gifts that were given to the apostles, right? There are also spiritual gifts that were only given to the apostles, okay? Um, we would say those spiritual gifts would be like the speaking in tongues, the healings, the, the miracles, the, you know, not, you know, being, if you're taking poison or whatever and you wouldn't die, we would say those are like the spiritual gifts that are given to the apostles, okay? And only the apostles could have those spiritual gifts, and then they could, of course, they could impart it to somebody else, they could give that spiritual gift to somebody else, okay? So like um, we, we went through there in Acts chapter um, 8, I believe it was, when Philip is in Samaria and people get saved, but yet it was Peter and John that came down from Samaria, laid hands on them, and they received those gifts, right? So again, we have to understand, you know, there are different types of spiritual gifts. Now, again, when we would think spiritual gifts as well, is salvation a spiritual gift? Yeah, salvation is a spiritual gift as well. Um, you know, grace is a spiritual gift. There, there are many type of spiritual gifts. So I think we're, what we'd have to do is find out, first of all, what type of spiritual gift is Paul referring to here, right? Um, because we can't just assume when Paul says spiritual gift that he's talking about the apostolic gifts, like what we would say were given to the apostles. Uh, is he talking about the other gifts, Right? Um, or is he just talking spiritual in general, okay? So I think what we're going to have to do is find out what, what again, is he talking about here. Um, and notice what he says. Um, if you kind of, again, we're not going to look at the whole thing, but he says in verse number 8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So, again, he's writing to believers, okay? He's writing to believers here. So I don't think he's talking this spiritual gift is dealing with salvation, right? Because he's already talking to believers. He's talking about their faith, right? He says that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making a request that by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So I think the key to this spiritual gift that he's talking about here, um, to me, right? Um, did, anybody, did anybody 
catch maybe what might be the key to the spiritual gift? In that passage? So, so are, you, are, you, are you saying here that the spiritual gifts is actually referring to the spiritual gifts that only the apostles could give? Okay. I just want to make sure you're clear on that. Okay. So, again, that, I believe that's the key right there is the end of what he says right after the spiritual gift, right? To the end ye may be established, right? So, to me, that's, that's the clue right there, right? The spiritual gifts has something to do that is establishing them, right? What is... What does the word establish mean? What's that? Settle, right? You're, you're establishing, you're settled, you're, you're building, right? You're growing, right? When somebody says they've, they've established something, right? Um, they're, they're building something, they're settling, right? Um, and so he is writing to those who are already saved, Right? And he's talking about their faith. Okay? Um, he says, your faith is being spoken of throughout the whole world, okay? but, which is a good thing. But again, remember, Paul talked about the church of Ephesus. Right? They, they started well, but then later on in the book of Revelation, we find he says, you've left your first love. Okay? And so many of these early churches, because of the, the influence of the world and things, they, some of them could start well, like the church of Corinth man, started well, people got saved, but then they allowed um, the, the things of the world to infiltrate and, and sin and things like this, and it just kind of permeated throughout the church. And so Paul is saying, hey, to the church of Rome, right, you, you started well, your faith is being spoken of, right? And he says, I'm praying for you, um, but you really need to be settled on some things. You need, really need to be established, okay? Um, and so even if it is the, the, the actual spiritual gifts that Paul could give himself, right? Um, again, to, to show or to whatever the, the need would be there, but I think even more importantly than that, again, think about what he's saying. To the end, ye may be established. Okay? Um, I believe there are some things that Paul is saying, hey, there's, there's still some doctrine and there's still some things that you need to learn, you need to be established in. right? Because let's, let's face it, somebody can, somebody can say, well, I understand how to be saved, right? and I understand that faith is only in Jesus Christ, but does that mean that they are established in their faith? No, it doesn't mean they're established in their faith, right? Uh, I've met people that they said, yes, I got saved, um, you know, I got saved, but then uh, for whatever reason, they, they were not taught, you know, the Word of God, and so there were some things doctrinally that they, they did not know, okay? Now, their faith was great. They, they put their faith in Christ, and maybe they were even serving and doing some things, but, but doctrinally, they did not know some things, 
okay? And I think Paul is saying, hey, I'm, I want to come and to help you, uh, to establish you. And again, this is what he says. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me, right? He said, I, I want you to be established in the faith. I want you to have the same confidence in the faith that I have, right? I want your faith in, in doctrine and the things of God to be the same as mine. And, and again, we're not really sure as we think about um, as Paul's writing to the church of Rome, we don't know, you know, how many times, I mean, kind of in history, we're, we're told that he went to Rome, right, he's in prison, and people are getting saved, and kind of a church gets started, and then he leaves. Um, you know, we're not really sure exactly how it all took place, other than just kind of the few things we're given in Scripture. Um, so is it kind of similar to, um, you know, Philippi, where he's there just for a short time, or in Lystra, where he's here, there just for a short time? You know, obviously we know in Ephesus he was there for years, right? He was there for years and establishing people in the faith and sending people out. But many times in these places that he would go to, he was only there for a short period of time, mainly because of persecution. He'd get run out. Um, and so there was a need to establish those believers in the faith, which is why Paul would go back after a couple years and go back on what we would call the second missionary journey, the third missionary journey, right? He's going back to some of these places and trying to help them. He's trying to establish them in the faith, okay? Um, and so, you know, again, I, I, I'm just kind of going through the verses here progressively. Um, I'm not sure if the spiritual gift there, and again, the only thing that Paul could give, right, would be the spiritual gifts that God gave to him as an apostle, right? Or the, other, the only other thing that this could be would then be the spiritual gift of Paul simply teaching and preaching them and helping them become established in the faith, right? Um, and again, the Bible, the Bible does talk about, you know, the, um, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, he has given gifts to the church. What are those gifts? Apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, right, evangelists, those are the gifts that God has given to the church. And so he's saying, I'm wanting to impart to you some spiritual gift. Um, so whether it is that apostolic gift of, you know, establishing them in the faith or the teaching, there's something that Paul is saying, hey, there needs to be some, some real settling here in, in some issues, okay? Brother Corey? Yeah, and I think if you continue on, he says in verse 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
For it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. So again, there's the desire that we see in Paul seems to be that there's this desire to go and preach. There's a desire to go and teach. Okay? And again, I think that's where it has to do with that establishing, right? He's wanting to really establish them in their faith, right? Um, we think of Timothy, and we think of guys that were always with Paul, right? Um, you think of the, the disciples, you know, as they were with Jesus, right? They were being discipled. What, what was the whole purpose of them always being with them? What was the purpose of the disciples always being with Jesus? What was the purpose of Timothy and Titus and these guys being with Paul and these others? It was to establish them. It was to disciple them. It was to really teach them and help them to grow and, and make sure that they had those, uh, those roots, right, really established in the faith. Um, and that's why he says there in, um, even in Ephesians, right, in Ephesians chapter 4, after he talks about the... Um, uh, after he talks about giving uh, the pastors and teachers and things, um, what does he say in verse number 14? He says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Okay? He's saying, I want you to be established so that you're not being led away by doctrine. I want you to be established so that there's you're not going to just listen to what somebody says and then just be pulled away over there, right? There's going to be a, there's going to be a, a building, there's going to be an establishment that is permanent, and it's not going to be swayed, right? Um, and please again remember, in this time, right, the church is still, the church is still in its early phases, right? The church is really still in the early phases here. Um, and so it's not like, you know, it's not like today where you can almost go to every town and you can find a, a church that may, might preach the doctrine, right? Um, they were very few, very far between, um, and, and there was a tax on them because, you know, it was, it was something new and it was going against the, the mainstream and everything. Um, and obviously, even when we see with uh, Corinth and other places, uh, even the Jews would try to come in and try to to dilute the doctrine, right? They could say, well, yes, you can believe in Jesus, but you still also have to keep the law, and you have to keep all these other different things, right? Um, and so, especially in the early days, there was a great need for, for the establishing of the believers in, in doctrine and faith and knowing what they stood for and what they believed in so that they would not be, be swayed by every wind of doctrine, Okay. So I, I, think that's, I think we see that with what Paul is saying, and that's why he says, man, I, I want to come, and I want to preach, and I want to help you to grow, right? Um, and obviously, since he couldn't at this point, what does he do? He writes a letter, right? Um, and we see through this letter so many different things that he's trying to ad address to get them um, to be established in their faith, right? Whether it's dealing with salvation, whether it's how to be saved, I mean, all these different things, um, our, our justification, our sanctification, I mean, he deals with so much through the book of Romans. Um, and again, that, that desire, I believe, just to, to help them become grounded in the faith and be established and not, not moving about by every wind of doctrine.
Right. Yeah, and there's and there's no doubt that this is you know his his desire, um, you know obviously I think when you think about Paul, um, obviously they didn't know about cloning back then, but if Paul could have cloned himself, <laughs> he would have done it many times over because he wanted to be here and he wanted to be there and he wanted to be over there. I mean, he wanted to be be everywhere, but why? Why did he want to be in all these places? To preach the gospel, right? His desire, it wasn't just for fun and games. His desire, he wanted to be in all these places to preach the gospel and then those that were getting saved to help them to grow spiritually, right? Um, that, that, was his, that was his whole desire. That was his whole purpose, right? And that's why he says, hey, if I can't go here and preach the gospel, then I'll go here. And if God tells me no, then I'm gonna go there. And if God tells me no, I'm gonna go there. He was like, that's, that's what I'm called to. I'm called to give the gospel. And so wherever I can, I'm gonna do it, right? Look, Corey? Yeah, no, I, yeah, we started the discipleship program when we came. Mm-hmm. Right, it is, yeah, to, to help people to be established in their faith, to know what the Bible teaches, uh, whether it's about salvation, eternal security, you know, all these different things. Um, because, again, we want people to have a confidence in God's Word, not just in a doctrine or, or in a church or a denomination, but, but in the Word of God, and to know that this is what God teaches, right? Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was the whole purpose of discipleship, just to help people to grow uh, in, their, in their Christian walk and in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good question. Very good. Anybody else? Anybody else have a question this morning? Ms. Don? So Ms. Don's asking, kind of going back to what we were talking about in Psalms 51 with David and with Bathsheba, um, obviously in, in those, those times, women did not have, you know, a lot of the rights and things that, that are, we have today. So was, was she as, we could say, as responsible as, for, as David was, or was there something that she could have, is there something that she could have done to try to stop it, or because David was the king, and he was a man, and she was just a woman, that she just, she didn't have any rights or anything. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what do we think? Miss Patty? 
go. So you think that she knew that? Why would you say that? Okay. So let's think here, right? In, in this day, do you think they had bathrooms and stuff like what we have today? Showers and things like that? No. Um, so bathing... If we, would, if we would say in the open, is actually very common in many countries, okay? Now, not open as far as everybody being able to see publicly, but um, whether it would be on a rooftop or somewhere else, that is, that is actually a normal thing, okay? Um, and so when, so when we go out to a village in Uganda, right, uh, they don't have rooftops because their houses are made of mud, so there's not going to be a rooftop um, that you can be able to stand on. But they will have a place, and basically it is just uh, banana leaves. They have put banana leaves kind of in a circle. Um, and if you're going to bathe there, of course, there is no bathtub. There is no shower. You just get like a little bucket of water, and you do like a, a, a washcloth shower, right? Um, but you're pretty much out in the middle of everywhere, right? Um, so, again, I'm not, I, I, I want to be very careful that we don't just read into Scripture things because of the way we see it today, right? I mean, we could say, well, why wasn't she in her, why wasn't she in her house? Why wasn't she in her bathroom? Why wasn't she in her bathtub or whatever? Well, she probably didn't have one, right? That's, that's not how society was back then, okay? Um, now, I can't say what the house was like, okay? Um, but I know in third world countries and things like this, that's not the norm. Again, <laughs> if you have a bathroom and you have a toilet in your bathroom and you have a shower or a bathtub, you are blessed more than most people in the world. Okay? Um, so, again, I, 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 I just want to be careful that we don't just kind of assume our idea and thinking of things into Scripture, right? Um, I can't say that that wasn't where she normally bathed. I, I don't know. Scripture really doesn't tell us that, okay? Um, anybody else? What else? Would, would she be as culpable as David then? Sure. Okay. All right. So let's, let's just, for example, sake, let's take the equation out that, um, let's take the equation out that she uh, instigated this, we could say. All right. Let's, let's take that equation out, that she's the instigator here. 
let's just look at it as David sees her and, and wants to take her. Was she culpable for that? Did she have any recourse? There, was there something that she could have done to have tried to stop it? Or just because David's the king and David's a man that she had no, she had no recourse? There was nothing she could do. Yes, ma'am. Right. Well, they definitely would have had the Torah. They would have had the first five books of the Bible. And they probably could have had a, a few of the early prophets, maybe, maybe about the history of Israel. Um, but at least, definitely, they would have had the Torah during this time. And, of course, in the Torah, you know, which is the first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy, um, what, did, what do we find in Exodus chapter 20? I think they're called the Ten Commandments, Right. And it says very clearly, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, right? Um, right? So, I mean, it's, it's very clear, right? It's not, it's not that we could say, well, David didn't know or Bathsheba didn't know. They, they knew. They knew, what the, they knew what the Word of God had said at that point, right? Hmm. Do we not find other script, places in Scripture where we have women saying No. I mean, Vashti was the queen. She said no, and did it cost her? Yes, it cost her, but she still said no, right? Um, remember, um, was it Nabal's wife, right? When, uh, you know, her husband says, hey, I don't really care about David. What did she do? She stepped into Nabal's place, and she ended up basically sparing Nabal from David's sword, right? Um, so it wasn't necessarily her saying no, but she did go against the authority of her husband, right, to prevent his death, okay? Um, and so, again, I think when you look in Scripture, we can, we can use, well, men had the power as an excuse just to be able to say, well, they didn't have a choice. Well, no, everybody has a choice. Everybody has a choice what they make, right? Um, and we can say, well, if she wouldn't have, then David would have threatened her or whatever. Well, that could have happened, right? But she still could have said no, okay? Um, or she still could have cried out or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, even, uh, even afterwards, did, did she tell Uriah, her husband, about the situation? She doesn't even mention anything to Uriah, right? So could we say that there was nothing that Bathsheba could have done to, to, to stop this? I'm going to say no, I'm going to say she could have done something. Now, would it have stopped it? I, I can't say that. I can't say if that would have stopped David or not. Maybe it would have, right? Maybe by her saying, no, this isn't right, this isn't pleasing to God, maybe that would have triggered something in David. You're like, oh, you know what? She's more spiritual than I am, right? You know? um, and maybe it would have stopped it. There's, uh, we, we can't know that, right? Um, but I think if we, we look and we can say, well, just because he was the king... Um, you know, she couldn't say no, or just because he's a man, she couldn't say no. I don't think, I don't think we can go that far, right? I mean, that's, that's now saying, well, you know, well, people are in government, so just because they say it, we have to do it. 
That's, it's kind of like blame shifting, right? Right? Well, they're in power. They're the ones that told me, you know, they said I had to, they said I had to perform a marriage that was between a man and a man, so I had to do it. No, you didn't have to, right? Um, so, again, I think we have to be careful trying to, um, you know, say, well, just because he was the king, just because he was a man that she didn't have, you know, the ability or anything like that. Um, because, again, you can actually go back to the law, right, to the law of Moses, and there were things that a woman could do. God, God gave specific things that a woman was able to do, right, if there were accusations and things that were done. Um, now, again, I, I, can't, I can't go back and, and say, you know, was, was she the instigator? Did she do it on purpose? You know, I know there's been debate about that, and I don't, I don't know that there's anything necessarily clear in Scripture that gives us a clue one way or the other. Um, the thing is, David, David saw her, David took her, um, you know, and I think it primarily falls on David, but could she have tried to stop it? Could she have said no or whatever? Yes, I believe so. I think she could have, right? Okay, we're going to stop there.